And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man in front of you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry man. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Masked Avenger. Uh, This is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Howard Duff stars as the greatest private detective of them all, Sam Spade from 1946. And then Marie Wilson stars as hair-brained Irma Peterson on the first half of a comedy episode of My Friend Irma. With me to help present these classic radio shows is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. Glad to be here. What's going on in Hollywood? Well, some surprising news here. So, American Idol is in its 15th and final season. Right. And Forbes magazine has ranked the earnings of the show's alumni to see who made the most money in 2015. Besides Ryan Seacrest? Right. He didn't count as one of the... the, So, one of the singers. Right. Exactly. So, um, interestingly, this is not what you'd expect. Really? It's not what I would say? I don't think so. Because I would say Carrie Underwood would be number one. I would have said that, too. And she's not? She's number two. Okay. She made... Eight million dollars uh, in the last year. Okay. Okay. So she yeah. did, you know, really well you know, for herself. Pretty, We're not feeling sorry for her. Pretty good. Uh, that's number two. Number three is Chris Daughtry. Okay. Really? Yes. Okay. Number four is Philip Phillips. Okay, I like him. I. And tied for fifth <laughs> is Kelly Clarkson. Now, see, I would have said Kelly Scotty Clarkson. McCreary. I would have said Kelly Clarkson was number one. Right. So who right, is so, number one, Carl? Well, it might be Jennifer Hudson. It's not. It's not? It's Jennifer not. Hudson? I'll give you a clue. It'll give it away, though. Okay. Um, it's a male. It's a male. Hmm. And he's your favorite. Really? Yes. So he made the most? Yes. Yes, he did. Um, season 8 runner-up, Adam Lambert, made really? $10 million. And the reason behind it is apparently he was fronting Queen um, performances. Oh. I did not know that this wow. past year. So he was, he was like... Being the Freddie Mercury of a, of a revival of exactly. Queen, exactly. Very interesting. So well, he, he has really the, raked it in. He has the he range has the to do it for Definitely. sure. I always say he's the most talented. He and Carrie Underwood, to me, yeah. um, are top notch. And, and of course, that's how Larson, it came out. You know? uh, and Jennifer much. Hudson, I mean, she's amazing too. I know. Well, she's, she's been an on Broadway, and, but yeah. I'll tell you, Broadway does not pay. Yeah. Um, like some of these other wow, things. Wow, very too. cool. That's interesting. Yep. All right. Very, and which is your favorite? Yeah, word. I love interesting. interesting. Right. All right. It's time for the adventures of Sam Spade, detective. This detective character was created by writer Dashiell Hammett for his crime story, The Maltese Falcon. Spade was a hard-boiled detective with cold detachment, a keen eye for detail, and unflinching determination to achieve his own justice. For most people, the character is most closely associated with actor Humphrey Bogart, who played Sam Spade in the third and most famous film version of The Maltese Falcon. In 1946, one of radio's top producers, William Spear, brought Sam Spade to the airwaves, starring newcomer Howard Duff with Lorreen Tuttle as Spade's secretary, Effie Perrine. Now, later, when Howard Duff's name appeared in Red Channels, a report on communist influence in radio and television, he was not invited to play the role when the series returned 
for the 1951 season. The role went to Stephen Dunn. It's time now, though, for a Howard Duff Sam Spade episode. This is called Sam and the Psyche. It's from August 2nd, 1946. Here's part one of the adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. The hair-raising adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Sam Spade, Detective Agency. It's me, Effie. Oh, Sam, I've been worried about you. Sid Weiss was just on the phone and he says digging up a corpse without a permit is against the law. It's all right, Effie. I just dug him up to say hello and put him back again. Oh, Sam. I'll be down in a couple of minutes to dictate my report, sweetheart. If I get lost on the way, you'll find me in City Hospital, the psycho ward, third straight jacket from the left. Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented each week by Wild Root Cream Oil, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that will put your hair back in place again. Grooming it neatly, naturally, the way you want it. And now, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Date, August 2nd, 1946. To Mrs. Gregory Denov. Subject, death of Dr. Denov. I was sitting in my office with nothing to think about except a horse named Corkscrew Jr. My secretary, Effie Perrine, came in and said there was someone outside. I didn't look up from the dope sheet, so she said it again. Someone outside, Sam. What's he look like? Um, blue double-breasted custom-made suit, kind of my tie, hand-tailored shirt, English shoes, hand-trimmed Van Dyke. Get me a blank check and send him in. Okay, Sam. Please come in. Mr. Spade will see you now, sir. Thank you. You are Mr. Spade, Sam Spade. What can I do for you? I'm Dr. Gregory Denov, a psychoanalyst. I... I need your help. Lie down, doctor, and tell me all about it. <laughs> I, I see you might also be noted for your sense of humor as well as your discretion. Who told you I was discreet? A man named Nicolaitis. Well, you tell Nicolaitis, I think he's cute, too. What else does he say about me? That I can trust you with $10,000. Oh. Is this Mr. Nicolaitis one of your patients? No. No, he isn't. As a matter of fact, he, he's gotten possession of some private records of mine... Well, it, it's rather involved. Nicolaitis is shaking you down, and he picked me as the middleman. Is that it? This is not an ordinary case of blackmail. Blackmail is blackmail, even if you do it in technicolor. Well, as you may know, a psychoanalyst keeps a faithful transcript, a detailed record of everything a patient says during consultation, no matter how intimate or shocking. Yeah. This man, Nicolaitis, has managed to gain possession of a copy of one of these case histories. The patient is a very celebrated person, and should this material be divulged, it may have very serious consequences for both my patient and... and for me. Doctor, your best bet's the San Francisco Police Department. No, no, that's out of the question. Then I'm afraid I can't help you. Why not? Nicolaitis said... I'm a private detective. When I take on a client, I take on his troubles. My job is to protect him, not to stand by and see him milked. You want to hire me on that basis, I'll listen. Oh, I'm... I'm so tired. I must trust somebody. What can you do for me, Mr. Spade? Write me out a check for $1,000. Got a pen? Yeah. All right. You see, Nicolaitis figures that if I'm getting a cut, I'll have to keep my mouth shut. I'll spend it all the same. Here you are. Thanks. Now, uh, what was the last thing Nicolaitis told you? That he would pick up the $10,000 here and deliver to you this file in question. Can you reach him? Yes. Call him. Tell him you've seen me. Tell him I won't do that kind of business in my office. Tell him to come to your house. I'll be there. What if he refuses? He won't. Tell him I have the whole 10000 What time? 
How about in an hour? No, no, I'm sorry. We'll have to make it around three or... Oh, goodness, I'm late now. I, I really... That's a beautiful watch, Mr. Denno. Yes. Foreign? Uh, yes. May I see it? My watch? Why, oh, really, Mr. Spade, I'm very late. I have so many things to do, and I have to be at the Majestic Theater well before the matinee starts at 2.30. Are you going to see me at 3 o'clock if you're going to the theater? Oh, I'm not going to stay for the performance. Well, Mr. Spade, till 3 o'clock then. Oh, my office is in my apartment. The address is here on my card. It's the penthouse. Penthouse, huh? Okay, doctor, I'll come formal. I'll wear the top to my bathing suit. around 2.30 and started walking up Knob Hill. The Versailles Apartments where Denov's place was took up the whole 300 block, so I didn't have any trouble finding it. I stopped across the street for a minute to get my breath after the uphill climb, mopped my face, and started across. Just as I got to the middle of the street... The crowd was packed in so close around I couldn't see who'd done the Brody, but I had a pretty good idea. The cops had the sidewalk roped off and guards posted at the building entrance. It took me maybe 20 minutes to elbow my way through and show my credentials. Sergeant Levine had the front door, so they let me in. Lieutenant Dundee of Homicide met me at the door of the penthouse. Hiya, Sam. What do you want? I want to see Dr. Denov. The doctor's dead. Dead? Yeah. He's my client. They can't do this to me. How? Hit a Brody out the window. What are you here for? To see his wife. Okay with you? Why not? She's inside. Thanks. Mr. Stanhope, please. With all due respect for your grief, I must have the keys to the cabinet where Gregory kept his confidential files. You realize that he wished me to take charge of his patients and that I am responsible. All this police and so on. We must get those files out of here as soon as possible. <coughs> yes? My name is Spade. I am Dr. Zoya. I was poor Dr. Denhoff's oldest friend. If there's anything I... would like to I... see you, Mrs. Denhoff, alone. But you police have already asked her so many questions. You see, she's not in the... I'm not with the police. I'm a private detective. I was working for Dr. Denhoff. A private detective? He was in trouble, you see. You see, Dr. Sawyer, the police won't believe me. Mm. Mr. Spade, you'll tell them. You'll tell them he didn't commit suicide. Well, Mrs. Denhoff, I guess that takes care of everything here. It's clearly suicide. <laughs> Idiot, blind, stupid idiot. Suicide. Mm. My husband, he treated suicides. He would never... No, please, it will be all right, my dear. I'm sorry. She's hysterical. Yeah. If I had the time, Mrs. I would... Tell them, tell them. Please, Mrs. Dano. The undertaker has been arranged for a burial at 7 o'clock, Beth Israel Cemetery. Now, please, the key to Gregory's files. Here, take it and go. Go ahead, all of you. Okay, we'll call you now. I'm so sorry, gentlemen. This hysteria, a simple traumatic condition. If I only had the time. Who can I turn to? Who will help me? You think it's pleasant? You think my husband would rest if they said I committed suicide? What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Dr. Zoya didn't have the time, neither have I. You think it's murder? Who do you think killed your husband? To name someone. That's a very serious charge, Mr. Speed. Goodbye, Mrs. Denhoff. Constance Brent. You mean Constance Brent, the actress? Yes. Yes, She was his last patient this morning. She had threatened to kill him before. How do you know? My husband said so. Do you? Well, he'd written it down on his notes on her case. 
Once before, she'd almost pushed him from that same window. How about your husband and Miss Brent? Oh, I knew she was falling in love with my husband. That always happens. They, they call it a transference. But in this case... Your husband told me Miss Brent was acting in a play this afternoon over at the Majestic. Yes, Midsummer Night's Dream. But she was here. I know she was here. Miss Ray, the receptionist, was coming back from lunch when she heard voices arguing inside. And she was sure it was Miss Brent's voice. Show me the doctor's case history on Miss Brent. I can't. It's missing. As soon as it happened, I went to the files. I meant to show it to the police. Who could have taken it? Constance Brent was the last one in that room before he died. Yeah. When did you see Nicolaitis last? Nick who? Skip it. Oh, where can I reach you in case... For the next couple of hours, I'll be at the Majestic Theater. I want to see how good an actress this Constance Brent is. <laughs> Constance Brent's dressing room? What do you want? I want to talk to Miss Brent. Well, you can talk to me. I'm her husband. So you're Mr. Brent. I'm Jonathan Wallace. She's Mrs. Wallace. Now, what do you want with my wife? I've come to tell her that Dr. Denhoff is dead. Uh, are you sure? You try falling from a 12th floor window sometime. Well, that's the best news I've heard this year. I'm afraid it'll be a shock for Constance. Maybe, maybe not. She was the last person to see him alive, as far as anybody can make out. Uh, are you from the police? No, uh, I'm from the insurance company. Claims investigator. What do you want to see Constance for? The policy wasn't made out to her, was it? No, made out to his widow. But she can't collect. Police say it was suicide. Oh, that settles it. This is the last time I say to Tanya. Who is this person? This man is from an insurance company. Dr. Denhoff is dead. Oh, what a pity. What happened? The police say he jumped. His wife says he was pushed. She also says that you, Miss Brent, might have been the pusher. Oh, but... now, really, it's too absurd. How like a wife. What time did your play start this afternoon, Miss Brent? Nothing more at 2.30. Always. Always. And the late lamented Dr. Denhoff jumped at 3 o'clock. I didn't say he did. Doesn't this news, uh, shock you? But of course. Do you think good psychoanalysts are easy to find? Looks like your next doctor will have to start from scratch. Your case history seems to be missing from Dr. Denhoff's files. Missing? No. What is it? Has a man named Nicolaitis been in touch with you? I've never heard of him. Chances are you will. Does he have Dr. Denhoff's notes on my case? Could be. <gasps> this is frightful. Hot reading, huh? You seem to know this person, Nicolaitis. Get that file for me and I'll pay you well for it. Just a minute, my lovely Titania. We, we don't know who this man really is. He might even be Nicolaitis himself. Let me see your company credentials. Now, what do you know? Somebody picked my pocket. My wallet's gone. I thought so. All right, you tell me who you are. I'll call the police. Oh, no, no, Jonathan. No police. Let's get off the merry-go-round. My name is Spade. You'll find me in the phone book under S. My office is open until 6 o'clock. And if a man answers, don't hang up. It'll be me. <laughs> Nicolaitis yet? Not one. I even tried spelling it backwards. <sighs> Nobody ever heard of a man named Nicolaitis. I'm beginning to think there ain't no such person. Pardon me. Uh, do I hear my name mentioned? I'm Nicolaitis. Sam, I still think you're right. Come all the way in, Mr. Nicolaitis. Sit down. Oh, thank you. If you need me, Sam, just scream. What can I do for you? Oh, I've come for my money. What money? The $10,000. You remember the $10,000? Refresh my memory. Oh, Dr. Denhoff, the gentleman who visited you this morning. Oh, uh, that $10,000. Oh, 
Well, you see, it's easy to remember now. Yeah, yeah, it all comes back to me now. Uh, you were supposed to deliver something for the money. I think Dr. Denoff is dead. That is no longer important. You will give me the money, please, and I will not disturb your afternoon any further. Suppose I refuse. Oh, that would grieve me. In my grief, there's no telling what I might do. Dr. Denoff's dead. There's nothing more you can do to hurt him. Oh, never would I attempt to hurt poor Dr. Denoff. But in my sorrow, it would be so great if I should be forced to hurt the woman he lost. After all, as Titania says, these are the forgeries of jealousy. Titania, huh? Ah, yes, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, Act 1, Scene 18. <laughs> I'm a little rusty on my Shakespeare. Oh, you are indeed, Mr. Spade. Titania doesn't appear until well into Act 2. She doesn't, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. I guess she isn't on for 40 minutes or so. Yes, indeed, Mr. Spade, but I didn't come here to discuss drama. What else have you got to discuss? When Dr. Denhoff died, your market died with him. That is a very unprogressive view, Mr. Spade. There's always a gentleman named Jonathan Wallace. Why, you fiend. You don't mean you'd sell to both of us. Mr. Spade, how can you have such a low opinion of me? I will prove my integrity. I will give you the material. You give me the money. Hand it over. In the Levant, Mr. Spade, we have a saying. He who goes too close to the bear soon loses his beard. I have left my beard at home. Okay, I'll meet you anywhere you say, anytime you say. Excellent. At seven in your apartment. Hmm? Won't that be walking into the bear's cave? In the Levant, Mr. Spade, we have a saying. Private dicks do not kill people in their own apartments. It was then 6 p.m. I called Effie for messages. She told me that you had been phoning frantically, Mrs. Denov. I still had maybe 30 minutes before Nicolaitis was still at my apartment, so I breezed on up to your place on the hill. We had a very interesting chat, uh, remember, Mrs. Denov? Looking back on it, that was probably the most interesting conversation we had. Funny, I can't remember much of anything you said, but it was so uh, cozy there in your place. And what with your clock being about 20 minutes slow, it must have been something like half past seven before I left you. I grabbed a cab and told the hacky to step on it. I hoped Nicolaitis was still waiting at my apartment. He was. Mr. Nicolaitis, I'm sorry to be late. He was lying on my bathroom floor. The little guy was looking just about as natty as when he'd been in my office, except that the beautiful silk scarf he'd been wearing was twisted into a tight noose around his neck. Mr. Nicolaitis was a very dead blackmailer. His eyes were open and he seemed to be looking right at me as I bent over him. The finger marks on his throat were too blotchy to be of any use. Pretty soon, Lieutenant Dundee and Sergeant Polehouse came in and walked over behind me. We all stood there for a second and then Polehouse bent down and closed those eyes. You know him, Sam? His name is Nicolaitis. That's all I know about him. What did he come here to your place for? I don't know. You invited him? I wouldn't have been surprised to find him here, but not like this. You boys got a smear on him yet? Sure, he's an old customer of mine. Runs a photo lab, photostats, microfilm. Microfilm? Nobody makes any sense. They're all screwballs, psychos, neurotics. What am I doing in the middle of this anyway? Sam, don't scream at us. We're just doing a job. Oh, I'm sorry, boys. This 
Dr. Denhoff is my client. Man, I'm an expert. That Denhoff probably had a screw loose somewhere and needed a psychoanalyst himself. Say, maybe he was... Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, Dundee. Hmm? I'm going out of here now. Do I call Sid Weiss and we go through all that again, or are you going to let me walk? Why, Sam, you can go. I know where you sleep. I'll wake you when I'm ready for you. Well, Mr. Speed? I want some answers, Dr. Sawyer, and you're the guy who can give them to me. I'm listening. Just let the questions flow into your mind and do not try to repress any of them. Speak instantly whatever... Okay, question number one, without thinking. Do you think Dr. Denhoff was a suicide? Well, I had not seen Dr. Denhoff for many years. He had been my student in Vienna. I was his analyst, in fact. That's all very interesting, Doctor, but my question... Yes, yes, sir. Did poor Dr. Denhoff commit suicide? I have reviewed all the material, manifest and hypothetical, and I came to the conclusion... No, no, it was quite impossible. You see, these paranoid... Okay, question number two. Was uh, Dr. Denhoff in love with Constance Brent? I suppose I can now answer that question. When I arrived in San Francisco, I found him in great distress. He told me he feared he was losing his objectivity towards this patient. In other words, he was in love with her? Yes. You think she might have murdered him? All psychoanalytical subjects develop aggressive feelings toward the doctor. Nearly all of my patients have threatened me at one time or another. You don't say. Uh, tell me, Dr. Zoe, you know anything about Jonathan Wallace, Miss Brent's husband? A violent type, almost psychotic. Yeah? How about you, uh, Dr. Sawyer? Could you have done it? That is a most interesting question, Mr. Spade. When I arrived here from Vienna without funds, dependent on the kindness of my former students, I must confess that I felt a certain antagonism. It disturbed me to realize that a man of my standing in the profession should have be dependent on the goodwill of a younger and, uh, I sincerely believe, less gifted man. However, I overcame this, and I didn't kill him. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Doctor, thanks a lot. Oh, people, people. Truly a life study. There is no accounting. For instance, Dr. Denoff. He came to me only this afternoon with the strangest request. Yeah? He gave me the gold watch. The gold watch which I had presented to him many years ago upon his graduation in Vienna. He had a patient waiting and so had not much time to explain. Where is this watch? Please, I'm coming to that. He asked me to promise that I would have the watch buried with him if something should happen. That? Has been done. But Dr. Denhoff just died at three o'clock. It is a mosaic law that the deceased be buried before sundown. Uh-huh. Thanks, Doctor. Thanks a lot. Hmm. I hope I've been of some help. Doctor, you'll never know how much you've helped me. That's the first portion of The Adventures of Sam Spade with Sam and the Psyche starring Howard Duff. We'll get back to that after these words.
And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now let's get back to the adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. What's happened? I think I got the answers, Mrs. Denno. That file on Constance Brent. Your husband knew that you'd been going through it. Mr. Spade. Shut up and listen to me. He took it out of the files, had it microfilmed for his own private records, and destroyed the original. Really? The man who did the microfilming was Nicolaitis. He delivered one print to your husband and kept another for himself. He was murdered in my apartment for the copy he used to shake down your husband. The killer now has that copy, if it hasn't already been destroyed. But we can still put our hands on the first strip of microfilm which you delivered to your husband. This is astonishing. How? It's in the gold watch which was buried with him. Uh, oh, the, the watch that Dr. Zoe... That's right. Denhoff made up his mind that whatever he knew about Constance Brent was going to go to the grave with him. What are you doing tonight? Uh, nothing. And we got a date, sweetheart, you and I. I'll be back toward the wee hours. All paths lead to the grave. Ophelia, Act 6. Gregory's grave? But shouldn't we get a court order and have it done properly? The courts don't open until 10 in the morning, sweetheart. And Lieutenant Dundee's going to start asking me some questions about that stiff in my apartment before then. You see, baby, I can't wait. Mr. Spade, we shouldn't be doing this. If I'm wrong this time, it won't be wasted effort. I'll crawl into the grave myself and pull it in after. Here. I struck it. Give me that crowbar, Mrs. Denham, quick. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Put that flashlight in here, sweetheart. You look the other way. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. Look. What, Mr. Speed? What have you got? The watch. Here, put the flash on it while I open uh, it. Here's my nail file. Pry off the back. Thanks. That does it. Here's the film. All right, Mr. Spade. Give me that film. Well, if it isn't the second gravedigger from Hamlet, Mr. Constance Brent. Stop clowning and hand it up to me. You better do as he says, Mr. Spade. We've both got guns. I was expecting that. Took you a long time to get here, Mr. Wallace. How did dear Constance make out as Lady Macbeth? Just give me that film. Stop being an idiot, Wallace. The cemetery is crawling with cops. Put that gun away before you drop it and break your foot. Come up out of that grave, Spade, or you'll stay there forever. Okay, Dundee. All right, all right. Get those hands up, everybody. Go ahead, Dundee. Make the pinch. Okay. Sam Spade, I arrest you for body snatching violation of graves under the civil code number... No, you fool. You're supposed to arrest Mrs. Gregory <laughs> Denov and Jonathan Wallace for the murder of Gregory Denov and Pericles Nicolaitis. But I... Oh, yeah, yeah. I... No, you don't. I... Oh, no. It was smart of you, Mrs. Denov, to make me late for my appointment with Nicolaitis. You did that so that Wallace could nail him in my apartment for the microfilm. You thought you could use that film to pin Denov's murder on Constance Brent. But after your late husband caught you tampering with his files, he added a few well-chosen words to it. So that the film put the finger on you and your boyfriend, Mr. Wallace, in case anything happened to the doctor. So Wallace had to kill Nicolaitis. You weren't smart to push your husband out the window. That looked like suicide. You might have gotten away with it, Mrs. Denhoff, if you'd bashed your husband's head in with a bottle. And uh, it reminds me, Effie, pour me a drink. that all? Sign it, put a special delivery on it, and send it care of the matron to Hatchapi Prison. Go on, have one yourself. Oh, thank you. Is how? <laughs> <laughs> You'll get used to it. <laughs> Good night, Sam. <laughs> Good night, sweetheart. <laughs> While.
Wildroot Cream Oil presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Fred Essler was Dr. Zoya. Lorreen Tuttle is Effie. Don't forget, next Friday, the three masters of the art of hair-raising, Dashiell Hammett, William Spear, and Wildroot Cream Oil, join forces to bring you another hair-raising adventure with Sam Spade. Dick Joy speaking. And that's The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective, from August 2nd, 1946, with Sam in the Psyche, starring Howard Duff, also in the cast, Lorene Tuttle, and Dick Joy doing the announcing, sponsored by Wild Root Cream Oil. I know you use that on your hair, Lisa, and that's why it looks so um, kind of... Um, Mm, Fresh and clean? No, I was no. gonna, I was gonna say, uh, spiky and stuck, you know. No, you must be confusing me with Adam of Lambert. Your, of your head. <laughs> it looks like it's all on one side of your head, and that's what Wild Root Cream Oil does mm. to your hair. Great. Sort on CBS. Uh, I know you like that look. Uh, well, if Adam Lambert does it, right. I like Adam it. Lambert does it. You, you want to do it. I get that. All right. So, uh, before we tune into my friend Irma, I want to remind all of our listeners that if you have not sent in a picture of you and your kitty cat, you really should do it because we give away a year's supply of Cat's Pride kitty litter, the best kitty litter on the market, to one of our lucky listeners every single month. Right, Lisa? Right. So you want to send a picture of you and your cat um, with your name, your cat's name, your city and state, and email it to catspridephoto at gmail.com. At the end of each month, uh, Dan Jaffe, CEO of Cat's Pride, will pick a winner, and that lucky winner could be you. And a year supply of Cat's Pride um, is really a significant gift for anybody who owns a cat, and they would definitely appreciate that type right. of Right. Somebody uh, wins it every a, single month. Definitely. And Dan comes in here and just draws a name at random. And all of the pictures are posted on our Facebook page, so just uh, search us on Facebook at Hollywood 360 Radio, and then you look through all the pictures, and you'll see your picture if you send it in, right? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. All right, time now for My Friend Irma. Some might remember My Friend Irma as the movie that served as the launching pad for Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Others recall a television show of the same name. My Friend Irma actually originated as a radio situation comedy that aired on CBS from 1947 until 1954. My Friend Irma chronicled the daily hijinks of an extremely dim-witted blonde stenographer named Irma Peterson, played by Marie Wilson, and her screwball friends. One of Irma's best friends was her logical and very dependable roommate and narrator of the show, Jane Stacy, played by Kathy Lewis. The two central characters were in their mid-twenties. Irma dated Al, and Al was played by John Brown, a deadbeat, barely on the right side of the law, who hadn't held a job in years. Jane dated her millionaire boss, Richard Rhinelander, played by Leif Erikson, and dreamt of marrying him someday. Created by Cy Howard, my friend Irma was a top-rated radio comedy that escalated to films, television, and even a comic strip. Time now for a radio episode, though. This is going back to February 2nd, 1948. This stars Marie Wilson, and Jane quits her job and breaks off her romance with Richard. So let's tune this in. Part one now of My Friend Irma. Lever Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap that gives you a wonderful new kind of suds, presents... Our friend, Swan, with My Friend Irma. Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. 
You know, people are always getting awards and prizes for outstanding accomplishments. There's the Academy Award for Motion Pictures, the Pulitzer Prize for the Best Plays, and the Carnegie Medal for Heroism. That's the one I should get. Why? Because I live with Irma Peterson. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Me, Jane Stacy, I think Irma's a pretty nice kid. It's only that in her mind, there's a vacuum that even Hoover couldn't duplicate. <laughs> For instance, the other night I came home and found Irma sitting in the apartment with the lights off. So I said, honey, why are you sitting in the dark? And Irma said, well, I just made some cookies and the recipe said, when finished, set in a dark place and cool. <laughs> See what I mean? But then Irma is the least of my problems. I, unfortunately, happen to be one of those girls who is in love with the man she works for. Up until now, I felt I had the field pretty well to myself. But yesterday, Richard engaged a new girl in the office, one Gloria Benson. I'm so burned up, I could scream. Oh, Jane. Yeah, honey. When I picked you up for lunch yesterday, who was that new girl in the office? New girl? I hadn't even noticed her. Well, your boss, Richard, seemed very attentive to her. He did. That's funny. It escaped me completely. She's very pretty. Really? I didn't even pay any attention to what she looked like. She has lovely red hair. That's henna. <laughs> it's henna because I saw all the dark roots. Oh, Jane, then you are worried. Worried? Oh, honey, don't be ridiculous. I should hate to think I had to worry about some brazen little redhead with false eyelashes and a figure that... Uh, she is pretty, isn't she? <laughs> well, just to look at. But, uh, don't worry, Jane. You've got a great deal more inside of you than she has. Inside of me. There's a comforting thought. It may interest you to know, Irma, that very few men go around carrying fluoroscopes. Oh, but, Jane, I'd, I'd hate to think you were jealous. I'd never get jealous of Al. Oh. Irma, why do you always have to bring his name up when we're talking about people? And, Irma, please understand, I'm not at all worried about losing Richard. In fact, I have a date with him this evening. He's coming over. Hello? Hello, Jane. This is Richard. Oh, uh, Richard, I was just about to call you. Well, if it's about our date, Jane, I I'm afraid I'll have to disappoint you. I'm staying at the office this evening. Oh, um, you need any help? No, no, Miss Benson, the new girl, will be here. Oh, that's why I'm staying late. I want to show Gloria how we operate. <laughs> you know, there, there, there just isn't time during the day. You understand, don't you? Certainly I do. And goodbye, Dr. Rhinelander. <laughs> Jane, what's wrong? Nothing. Then why are you chewing your hat? Oh, was I? Well, it's just that he, he... Oh, Irma, how can he do this to me? I hate him. Men are beasts. Yes, isn't it thrilling? <laughs> oh, Irma, please, this is no laughing matter. Richard alone in that office with that redhead. Who knows what can happen? Yes, she's liable to get your books all mixed up. <laughs> oh, don't cry, Jane. Oh, I can't help it. 
But, but don't forget what you once told me. There are plenty of fish in the ocean. I admit they won't take the place of men, but it'll give you a hobby. Oh. <laughs> oh, Irma, just be still. I know what I'll do. I'll quit. That's what I'll do. I'll quit. Well, do you think you should? Certainly. I've been a blind fool. Well, I've worked my last day for Richard Rhinelander. Well, it's your own fault, Jane. You should work nights like the new girl. <laughs> now, Irma, listen. My quitting is a personal matter, and I don't want the neighbors to know all about it. All right. What do you think I am, a blabbermouth? Yes. <laughs> Come in. It's only me, Professor Kropotkin. <laughs> Hello, Janie and Irma, my two little church steeples. One with bats in the belfry. <laughs> Why, Professor? <laughs> Excuse me, a little joke I picked up from a steeplejack. <laughs> well, girls, what's new? Jane is quitting her job. Irma. Oh, don't worry, Jane. I'm not going to tell him about the redhead who's in the office with Richard tonight. <laughs> Jane, you are really quitting your job. And this redhead... Please. <laughs> Professor, I'd rather not talk about it. Oh, Jenny, darling, don't let jealousy, that green-eyed monster, get the best of you. That's what ruined my marriage, that green-eyed monster. Jealousy? No, my wife. <laughs> Just a little joke to cheer you up. <laughs> I've been trying to cheer her up, too. I told Jane she can get another fellow, maybe someone like my Al. Please, Irma, a remark like that is only good for stopping hiccups. <laughs> Oh, stop trying to cheer me up, the two of you. I'm a grown woman. I... Why should he treat me like this? Because of some redhead. What do men find so fascinating about these flaming redheads? I've known plenty, believe me. Their hair may look like it's on fire, but many turn out to be false alarms. <laughs> Come in. Hello, Jane. Hello, Mrs. O'Reilly. Hello, Irma. Hello, Mrs. O'Reilly. Look, the Misha don't say hello. It's an intuition. She knows I hate her. I'll talk to you later. Janie, here are the socks I promised you I'd knit for Richard. Oh, thanks, Mrs. O'Reilly, but I haven't any need for them now. Irma, you can give them to Al. Oh, Jane, I don't think a girl should give her fellow socks. That, that's very personal. After all, that's where he keeps his feet. <laughs> But, Janie, darling, you wanted them especially for Richard. What happened? She had a fight with him over a redhead. Oh, Irma, be still. Don't take it to heart, Janie. Men are a dime a dozen. Take me. I'm 39. How's that again? I've been a widow for 39 years. <laughs> I'm not much to look at. I'm just an old landlady. And would you believe it? The men still make eyes at me. <laughs> Nowadays, a man will do anything to get a room. <laughs> Believe me, Mrs. O'Reilly, when the housing shortage is over, your own cat won't go out with you. That isn't here, you. Oh, please, please, don't get started again, the two of you. Here's the money for the socks, Mrs. O'Reilly. Thank you, Janie. Come on, Professor, the girls want to be alone. I'm leaving. And Janie, dear, don't cry. He's making you miserable now. But someday you'll be his wife, and then you'll show him what real misery is like. <laughs> Bye. Jane, honey, is there anything I can do to cheer you up? No, Irma. 
I've reached a decision with Richard, and I'm going to go through with it. If he likes Miss Benson, that's entirely up to him. In fact, I'm going to write him a letter of resignation immediately. I want him to get it in the mail the first thing in the morning. Come in. Hello, Jane. Hiya, chicken. Hello, Hal, honey. What makes you so happy? Just got the news. They're raising the unemployment check from 20 to $25. <laughs> $25? Yeah. And to think my mother wanted me to go to college. Gee, <laughs> Al, now you'll have real money. Well, ain't just counting on that. You know, little Al always got a hot deal on the fire. This one's absolutely foolproof. Oh, it sounds exciting, Al, honey. What is it? It's a special television set for watching horse races. But, Al, you can do that with any television set. I know, but this one fixes the race. <laughs> Hey, Jane, do you think Richard might be interested in investing in the idea? Jane, didn't you hear me? Al, uh, don't mention his name. You see, Jane and Richard are not S-P-E-E-C... Al, how do you spell speaking? <laughs> hey, Jane, is this on the level? That's right, Al. What is it, his folks? No, redhead. Why, the big step. Doing that to you, Jane. Oh, well, what's the difference? Al, if you'll excuse me, I'm going into the bedroom and write my letter of resignation. Poor, frustrated kid. You see, chicken, how lucky you are with a guy like me. You'll never catch me running around with other dames. I got my philosophy about that. What is it, Al? All dames are the same. To me, they're like pinball machines. No matter how fancy they are, no matter how much they seem to light up and glow in the dark, you'll never get your money out of them. <laughs> Is that the way you feel about me? Oh, no, chicken. With you, it's different. You're already tilted. <laughs> well, I've, I've scribbled a note to Richard. Oh, can we hear it, Jane? Uh, after all, Al and I are your best friends. We might be able to help you. Well, that's sweet of you kids. It's, it's wonderful to have friends. Well, here it is. Mr. Richard Rhinelander, dear sir... Gee, that's nice and cold. Yeah. <laughs> Dear sir, I have been in your employ for the past two years and feel I have discharged my duties rather efficiently. It wasn't entirely my fault that our business association grew into a more personal relationship. And certainly nothing I have done could justify your behavior of the past 48 hours. To wit, one redhead. <laughs> By your actions, I have recognized you for what you really are An unmitigated, uncouth, unprincipled You left out un-American <laughs> Unscrupulous Lothario How's that? Oh, good, Jane And you can tell him for all we care He can go back to Lothario where he came from <laughs> Chicken, Lothario ain't a country You're thinking of Rue. A province in France. <laughs> oh, Al, please. I accordingly resign my position. I never... I... I never want to see you again. Sincerely yours, Jane Stacy. Oh, gee, Jane, you must love him. Don't be silly, I hate him. <laughs> well, may all turn out for the best. You're too nice a dame to worry about that guy. Come on, kids, I'll treat you both to soda. No, thanks, Al. You, you two run along without me. I'm going to stay here and read the want ads. Here, Irma, you drop the letter in the mailbox. I want Richard to get it the first thing in the morning. All right, Jane. Uh, put on your rubbers, chicken. 
Is it raining? No, but might want to take you into a movie and them fire escapes are slippery. <laughs> See you, Jane. I've got the world on a string Sitting on a rainbow Come in Hello, Jane Richard, you... Oh, it's you, Mr. Rhinelander Jane, I knew that you misunderstood me over the phone and Well, that's why I rushed over here I, I couldn't speak in front of Miss Benson No explanations are necessary, Richard If that's what you can... Now, now, please, Jane, let me explain Now, Miss Benson is the niece of a very important client that we're trying to land now, frankly, she bores me to death, but I have to encourage her in her work, so she'll tell her uncle. And after that, we'll transfer her to the Boston office. Richard, you mean you... Oh, you did... Jane, how could you think that? Now, she's engaged, and you know what you mean to me. And here I've spent most of this afternoon fighting with Father to get you a $10 raise. For me? Oh, Richard. Uh, uh, Richard. Well, what's the matter? Uh, uh, you, you don't look well. Uh, why, why don't you take tomorrow morning off? I'll get the mail for you. I never you. felt better in my life. Jane... What's wrong with you? Oh, uh, uh, nothing. Uh, Richard, uh, what does that sign in front of the post office say? I don't know. Something about, uh, neither rain nor snow nor fire shall prevent the mailman from doing his duty. Oh, for the days of the Pony Express. <laughs> and that's the first portion of My Friend Irma going back to February 2nd, 1948, starring Marie Wilson. As heard on CBS. Let's take a break, then it's more here on the Hollywood 360 Radio Network. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, Lisa, I want to remind all of our listeners to check out our website. It's Hollywood360radio.com. There's all kinds of fun things there. There's millions and millions and millions of pictures of Lisa Wolf there. She just keeps sending them to me. It's like, Carl, could you put these up on the website? Have the webmaster do it. I just I take pictures of myself constantly, and I just beg you to put yeah, them up. Constantly it sends really me pictures. Really makes me feel good about myself. And uh, and and when they don't, you know, when I don't, when I get an overload of them, they go to Mike, and then Mike has them. I have them. There's all these pictures. Right. They're all of over your apartment, yeah, your house. And, yeah, I, every yeah. single square inch of my apartment has pictures of you, you on it. You are lucky. Yeah, I am. And uh, my <laughs> ceiling has it, my floor. <laughs> yeah. So I walk all over you, Lisa. You your know? ceiling? Just, no, on the floor. Oh, I thought... The floor is made of pictures of you, too. Oh. Yeah. I've got... You're at a loss for words. Mike, she's at a loss for words. I see this. I was oh talking about the God. ceiling, and I decided to stop talking. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, on our next show, we're going to tune in to the conclusion to My Friend Irma, and then it's Suspense, starring Lucille Ball. You won't want to miss that. We'll see you next time.